Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey, and with me in the studio is Aurora. Hello. And welcome back from the Labor Day weekend. We put the labor into Labor Day. Yes, we did. How many bales of hay did we put up? 500 of our second cutting on what? when was the tractor built? It was built in the 1950s. Yes. Yeah. It was it was a whole family operation. Grandma was driving the tractor, and everybody else was st- was stacking them and tossing them from field to barn. That's a long toss. It was. It was. <laughs> the cows are very happy, though. They just sat and watched us and chewed their cud, but they will be fat and happy come February. That's for sure. Now on today's show. We have an update this week from Logan McCulloch and his Trek for Truth, and we also have an interview with Dan DeLion. But before we get into the program, I want to tell you about some upcoming changes to our format. What's going to happen starting October is we're going to release four episodes around a single topic. So not sure exactly the release date, but it'll be a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. So if the topic interests you, you can dive right in and you don't have to wait for me to release the next episode a week later, and then you forget about it or life gets in the way or whatever happens. And kind of as a bridge to that, the next four episodes are going to be all around exercise, in particular yoga and Pilates. But these next four will come out every other week, and then we'll let you know for sure when this format change happens. Yep. All right. And here's our update from Logan McCulloch and the Trek for Truth. Hi, McKay. It's Logan from the Trek for Truth. It's uh, Sunday, September 6th, and I'm just calling in with my weekly update. I, uh, I'm just passing through the little town of Dove Creek, Colorado right now, and within the hour I will cross into the Utah state and uh, – Canyon Country. I uh taken a couple of days rest here in Dolores River, Colorado after uh seven straight days of riding across Colorado from Pueblo through the Rocky Mountains. Very taxing, um, strenuous but beautiful. And uh was really ready for a little bit of rest. So two days of R and R at a little campground. Rained most of both those days, so I was happy to be indoors. And uh, now it's absolutely gorgeous. It's uh, going to be about 80 today. Uh, very little wind, big puffy white clouds, and uh, I feel refreshed and ready to tackle the last three states, Utah, Nevada, and California. I'll go over 3,000 miles tomorrow from uh, the Atlantic coast, including the walking portion of this trek. And uh, have a, just over a thousand miles left up near uh, San Francisco. So we're on track to conclude on October 3rd. And uh, really appreciate all the support of all of our Lime Warriors out there. Get a lot of great, um, supportive, encouraging messages on Facebook. And I'm very appreciative of that and of all your listeners <clears throat> and of your efforts. Very, very much so. So look forward to. Checking in with you next week. Hopefully about this time next week, I'll be close to crossing into Nevada. For now, that's all from the Trek for Truth. 
and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. Thanks, Logan, for checking in. Really appreciate what you're doing for the Lyme community and increasing awareness about this terrible, terrible disease. Let's keep going. Got mountains to climb in Utah. You go get them, buddy. All right. All right. (laughs) Roar, please tell us a little bit about this week's guest, Dandelion. Okay. Dandelion is an earth herbalist, forager, musician, and teacher dedicated to working with nature. He teaches through his website, Return to Nature, providing classes, lectures, and seminars on wild food foraging, mushroom identification, herbal medicine making, as well as primitive and survival skills with a focus on wild foods and forest medicines. And thanks. Here's our interview with Dan DeLion. I just got, I think I just got the joke of your name or the insight into mm-hmm. your name. Why Dandelion? Uh, because I basically am a foraging and herbalist teacher and teach people about weeds, um, that weeds are valuable. And it's kind of uh, like a totem in a way because the dandelion just doesn't give a shit and just can't be stopped <laughs> and has a persistent message to the humans and they're not realizing. So it's kind of like that, you know, no matter how much you spray dandelions, they always come back. There's a persistent message of nature. Uh, which I feel like humans aren't really getting. So it's kind of the irony that uh, the dandelion is just so dang persistent. And one day we'll turn around and be like, oh, perhaps that persistence is a kind of like message. You know, this is telling us something, not like, oh, well, I need to fight you harder, which is kind of where we're at yet. Yeah, still, no doubt. I moved up. I'm on a 30-acre, what's left of a, well, it's most recently a dairy farm but originally a hop mm-hmm. farm in central New York. And mm-hmm. our, we have two farming neighbors. One is uh, organic and the other is conventional. And on the organic fields every spring, they are absolutely covered with dandelions. It's a carpet of yellow. Mm-hmm. Spectacular. Yep. Yep. What a nuisance. Those darn <laughs> yellow flowers. <laughs> I have to admit, I don't have a love for knapweed. On my farm and burdock. spotted knapweed, that that one is pretty tough. That's definitely one of those back us into a corner kind of plants. Is, um, is there any medicinal use for knapweed? You know, unfortunately, here's the truth of it. Of course, and yet here's the other truth of it: that no studies are being done because that knowledge uh, would change a lot, a lot. So there's kind of a push and pull between getting a college project going, which would take 10 minutes, and somebody could figure out medicinal uses and the chemistry within spotted knapweed. And then, of course, we would have kind of a cottage industry of understanding how to turn that into medicine. Mm-hmm. Of course, even to use that M word is kind of illegal, and um, that knowledge is not being researched, and it would start undermining and cutting into budgets of, you know, many large corporations and what if the solution was on the ground instead of through a huge conglomerate economy well that's what i want to talk to you mostly about because run into so many people who are confronted by the cost of treating lyme disease and Mm -hmm. primarily going to a western doc you know, and whether you yeah. think they're just charging money to rent their Lamborghini or whether you think that it just costs a lot of money to run a, 
an uh, alternative mm-hmm. medical practice to keep a lawyer on staff so you don't get run out of business. Um, yep. I, you know, it, it seems to me all the success stories comes with some realization somewhere with the person with Lyme that, you know what, I really need to tackle this on my own. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what what can people do on their own? And I, I know you're not giving medical advice or anything like that, but I mean, how can mm-hmm. people begin to educate themselves about herbs and about even not even buying herbs, but you know, how to gather, how to forage, how to. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a huge question. So that's probably, I mean, we could spend several podcasts talking about that alone. And obviously there's a larger empowerment that needs to be addressed. Um, there's always larger issues in it. I mean, it comes down to something like nature disconnection disorder. Like where have you been? <laughs> you know, what, what are you thinking that you could just buy your way to health? And, uh, you know, Okay, it's time to stop bullshitting and say that, you know, part of the reason, part of the metaphor of Lyme disease is kind of allowing parasitism into our lives to control us. And um, <laughs> that's a common metaphor that maybe uh, we see in reflected in our economy and or our government and or the global uh, civilization that we've built is this kind of exploitation model that we keep going over and over. So, you know, just keep breaking it and then we'll fix it. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so then it's like, well, we have no botanical classification skills as a society and, you know, we have no way of discerning nature and how, where do ticks live and, you know, how do people survive in a natural setting without contracting Lyme disease? And that's a huge you know, huge bunch of questions. So I'd love to explore any of that on air. Well, let's let's start with because I heard you on another podcast mention. You know, one of the tick problems we have is maybe not necessarily a deer problem or a mouse problem, but maybe we have. I think you said quail or pheasant problem. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is that we have a lack of something. We don't have an overabundance of something. So we see the tick population rising, rising, rising. And of course, uh, we always think then sort of totalitarian ways of destroying, 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 instead of realizing uh, what can we strengthen to take care of that problem in itself. And uh, so what I've learned is that, wow, without meadows, without someone stopping mowing somewhere, that uh, ground-dwelling birds are major tick eaters, and they would uh, be in the habitat and be reproducing. And basically, uh, you know, places, game wardens, etc., they uh, breed ptarmigan, grouse, and they reintroduce them, and they just basically feed them to foxes because they have no habitat. So they can't reproduce in, in the ecosystem. So it's literally like we've domesticated the ecosystem to a point where uh, the tick populations can't take care of themselves. I like to post every once in a while on my Facebook pictures of possums, which I learned mm-hmm. are voracious tick eaters. And tick though, eaters, yeah. Yeah, and they have been chased out of suburbia. They're still out here where I'm right. on my farm, but uh, mm-hmm. they, they don't exist uh, closer in. Raccoons still, but well, I don't think they eat ticks. Yeah, this is the cost of sort of trying to divide nature into sections and categories and say, well, possum, you're... You stay there. I, this is where my land starts. And, you know, all this kind of false boundary 
uh, problems, but the ticks are uh, pushing on that, you know, <laughs> very much pushing on the sense of uh, the illusion of having a boundary. It actually, you know, land, you know, you've heard the common story that native people would come here, uh, uh, colonists would come here and native people would be like, sell land. We can't sell you land. <laughs> uh, so these kind of concepts like ticks don't care. Ticks are not seeing deeds. <laughs> right. And so the other thing I, I heard mentioned is that you don't, you don't wear long pants when you're out in the woods. Right. I think Why it's is, actually bad. Yeah. Uh, because that? if you tuck in, if you go for the tuck in method, basically they'll just get to the next place you haven't tucked in, which is probably going to be your neck. And so then they'll just get into your scalp. They'll crawl up you. So my thing is develop enough awareness to actually be able to walk without them getting that far versus walk around like a Humpty Dumpty and pay no attention to the ecosystem. And this is kind of the larger message, I think, of ticks is be much more aware. Uh, as I study survival skills and nature and indigenous mentality and culture, I realize that awareness uh, needs to expand quite a large amount. Like, for example, uh, how people eat something and they never question where that comes from uh, would be a death sentence in a survival situation. You know, these little things we take for granted would all, like a bird can't do that. <laughs> so how often do you get bit? Very infrequently. And I was just in the woods uh, harvesting chanterelles and I got uh, about five, six ticks on me and I feel them because I'm, I have hypersensitized my ankles and my feet and I wear shorts and they're generally usually white. And they're not baggy, and I'm very careful about where they are. And this is something I feel like is not addressed in the Lyme community at all, is teaching people. And, you know, like at Omega Institute, they didn't talk about this at all, which is where is the habitat of ticks, and what are their breeding cycles like, and when do they get on you, and how exactly do they attach, and how can I avoid those places, and is it safe on the trail, and all these, and are there sprays that work? And none of that, as far as real grounded prevention, is covered at all. And I understand because it's like an epidemic and people are already so sick. But for those who aren't laying in bed for the last six years, uh, people who do want to explore, you know, that's going to be a very important topic is how to avoid actually getting them on you. And it's not just to be a bumbling fool and spray enough horrible chemicals on you that no ticks will get on you, but you'll also poison the ecosystem or the food you're picking. In my case, it's like, great, I'll spray DEET all over my ankles, and then all the mushrooms I pick will just be wafting in DEET. That sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do? What do you use? Well, I mean, I use uh, uh, awareness, uh, bug spray that I make myself, and a lot of it is awareness. I mean, I really get frustrated with people when they say they have, like, uh, organic bug sprays that work because I do tests, and I put it around in a circle, and I put the tick in it, and I watch it cross or not. And it's like a revelation to people. They've never even thought about this. So they're selling natural tick sprays, and they've never even tested them on humans. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So what, when you make yours, are you willing to say what you put in it? 
Sure. As far as a bug spray, I use uh, basically 50% all kinds of essential oils, and we'll get to that in a second, and then about 50% uh, fat. Really? Essential oils, yeah. As a uh, carrier? Not animal fat necessarily, but yes, uh, essential oils need a body. They've been yep. extracted from plants. And they're very volatile, yeah, so yeah. they'll evaporate very quickly. So those claiming that they use essential oils alone for ticker repellent, I would suggest probably is effective for about 45 seconds because yeah. after that, uh, it, it basically evaporates. This is the nature of a volatile oil of which essential oils are. So by adding a fat, we're, we're grounding it a little bit. We're adding some body. So I like to use uh, almond oil. That works for me. It's kind of good and spreadable. And I'll just put in every essential oil you can think of that is known to uh, repel bugs, right? And if we think about the essential oils in plants being designed for uh, repelling bugs, that's why those plants don't have a lot of bug bites on their bodies. Right. So that's the chemistry, right? So we understand that, and then we make uh, a brew of whatever you have. And that is about 10 to 20 to 30% effective. It's not a blinder. And this is my problem is that people use bug sprays and then become very blind. And mm. I feel like within that, the message of ticks in the ecosystem bringing us deeper into body consciousness, body awareness, and ecosystem awareness is lost. You know, if you just want to do, if you just want to bomb something to death and just keep about your day, you know, you're, we're going to have more of a severe problem in the long run. That's interesting. One of my acupuncture teachers used to do a talk and he would say, and we're, we're basing our diagnosis on a person's color, the sound of their voice, their emotion, and their odor. Mm -hmm. And he'd always get a reaction yeah. to the odor. But he said, oh, but don't worry, you can't smell. He said, mm -hmm. you've lost mm -hmm. your ability to smell. And, yeah, well, in some... <laughs> In some cases, but I, I think what, you know, what I'm doing through workshops and classes with Return to Nature is definitely tuning people much, much deeper into their body awareness, their yeah. biological function. Um, we have our senses for discerning and exploring the world. And within that, uh, one of the revelations that came recently within the last six months is, oh, leg hair is pretty essential for resisting parasites, you know? So when ticks are crawling up the leg, which is something that's been a problem in the human species for, you know, 300,000 years at least, that hair that's remained on the body is for perceiving things like ticks or lice. And what a revelation. Here we are culturally bound by stereotypes and, you know, women are forced to shave. And yet, if you're out in the ecosystem, that would be a very severe disadvantage. So that's what leg hair is for. <laughs> that's probably a good basis to start, right? Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. So... The other thing I'm, I'm I'm curious about now: Have you had Lyme disease? I have, I have, and I uh, basically had Lyme, and then I had a sort of period of remission where it came back, and then I have had some kind of neuro lingering symptoms the last uh, two years, and I suspect that was from getting rebit. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I get, you know, I get bit on you know every two months. 
I get a little, like today, I have one in the back of my leg, which I've been checking consistently, but the small ones are out. These uh, larvae, which are extremely tiny. Some people say they don't even transmit, but some people say they do. I'm so on I the, just treated it. Yeah, them. I'm on the they do side. I'm on the definitely whatever it is, just avoid it. And so I do <laughs> things precautionarily. Um, as an herbalist, I just basically say, okay, there's a great chance that I may get something. So what I've learned to do is then tonify my system to avoid getting the onset of something, um, but not in a foolish way and not in this uh, kind of prophylactic antibiotics once idea. Mm-hmm. You know, people say you know, all different spectrums of that, but I'm talking about uh, pretty intensely uh, important herbal protocols that would reduce the onset of infection, but not cause uh, not being just immune boosters, because that's how autoimmunity starts to form. So immune tonifiers, uh, things that nurture and nourish versus things that uh, kill, 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 kill. Right. So I'm, I'm going to ask uh, t- two questions here. So the, the first one is, so when you're treating yourself, you're treating you rather than a prophylaxic attack on whatever parasite might be coming well, in is that correct or do you have well there's a ba- i think um in the middle and i think this okay. is a really there is not a duality and sometimes you got to put up the walls and you got to fight and sometimes you got to uh just nourish the walls you mm-hmm. know and that's that's the balance and i think we all need to find the middle ground there um versus attacking the enemy philosophy which i think is very much you know, overpower the power is kind of the philosophy of maybe our medical system, right. where maybe on the other side of that is maybe, you know, naturopathy or homeopathy saying, well, just help the system. And so I'm in the center looking at, wow, you know, herbs do basically both of those functions together without turning them into either a pharmaceutical or an extract. So I'm really a big fan of actual plants versus extracts of plants or products with plants somewhere hidden inside them, mm-hmm. or, of course, pharmaceuticals, which I don't even know where the plant went in those, but they were once upon a time. There was a, they're there part was a of plant. a plant, a very small part of a plant. <laughs> right. So, you know, within that is all this initial idea that plants are not as innately intelligent as we are, <laughs> and I actually don't agree with that, and I think... There are plenty of cases where plants will actually uh, regulate functions where isolated constituents will just cause one or other. The common one is hawthorn, raises blood pressure for some, lowers blood pressure for others. Obviously, the more you pick apart that phytochemistry, the more you start getting what we call side effects, which are just actually effects because certain chemicals within a plant will do some stimulating effect. Certain of them will cause a calming effect. The plant has the innate intelligence of discerning what is needed in any given time. So I like to work with that instead of try to say, yeah, that's great and all, and you've been around for a million years, but I'm much smarter than you and let me do something. So how do you take your plants? Do you brew them? Do you eat them raw? Do you dry them? Um, what do you do? Yes, 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 and tincture them. <laughs> you tincture um, them? Yes, I also yeah. tincture them. I think that's kind of, uh, you know, it's about dosage. And so I, I'm really big into actually powdering herbs. So I take a coffee grinder and I buy the herbs as 
whole as possible because the more you let an herb powder sit, the more it oxidizes and degrades. Yeah, so course. often in the herb tree, I mean, you know, so we have cat's claw, which is a plant, and then we have cat's claw going to a factory, which is shipped here and bottled here and shipped here and bottled here and shipped here and bottled here and shipped here and bottled here and, here and, here and, here and, here and put on a shelf as cemento. And it once upon a time was a raw herb. Mm-hmm. And so in that time is oxidization and reduction of the very vibrant chemistry that we actually need. So I like to try to buy from as close to that chain of bulk herb as possible, and then I'll powder it with a coffee grinder or uh, and use an herbal powder, which I find is incredibly efficient, and that's the cheapest way to do things. You can either buy pills, but then somebody charges you 300% on the cost just to uh, put them in pills in in the factory. Yeah, so I get rid of all the capsules, and I just look at, okay, people will drink horrible drinks, all kinds of nasty alcohols made of genetically modified, whatever it is, and they'll do that for their health, right? But then the idea of drinking sludge once uh, gets replaced by the need for taking 24 capsules a day of, mm-hmm. you know, cat's claw or something. The dosage is, a, you know, ridiculous when you put it in capsules. So herbs need to be pulled out of capsules. That's not a very efficient way or a very inexpensive way to get herbs into the system to treat actually Lyme at the dosage required to actually have an effect and at the time required. And that's something that people miss out on. And that's something that I've had to learn kind of the hard way as well as working with people, um, really getting them into, okay, even if the symptoms go away, don't stop. Just don't stop and have the money to pay for that. So, you know, we start with what you can get, but then there's a whole spectrum of, you know, buying it in a larger amount and doing your own process versus going out and picking it. But you obviously are not going to go out and pick uh, Japanese knotweed when you've got chronic Lyme and you're in bed um, and you need, you know, 6,000 milligrams per day of root, which takes hours to process. Right. Are there suppliers out there who are better that you'd recommend for people out there? Well, on my website, I have a whole list of um links for herbs as well as specifically for Lyme. So anybody's welcome to check that out at returntonature.us, and that's called Lyme Links. And uh, within that, I mean, I could just name a few. Mountain Rose is okay. Frontier's okay. Star West Botanicals sometimes. And then we get a little farther into some of those specific uh, herbs. First Chinese herbs carries them. Uh, but those are not necessarily organic, and they come from China, so there's all these kind of issues right. um, yeah. as far as importing Japanese knotweed with tons of gas mileage versus, wow, people are here spraying it with pesticides instead of creating a cottage industry of people going around harvesting it and processing it. Right. I'd much rather have had that job <laughs> when I was 17. You know. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, so what, so you're kind of still struggling with Lyme, it sounds like, on and off. So I want to try to keep things simple, because I know this is not simple by any stretch of the imagination. You've been studying herbs mm-hmm. for, for, it sounds like, your whole life, for years and years yeah. and years and years. But what? where should somebody start educating themselves? Should, should it be with a Japanese knotwood root 
And let and for well, a second, actually, let's talk about the parts of the plant because it's you know we say Japanese not wood or something like that, and somebody goes out there and just cuts them down in their backyard on a state forest somewhere, but then takes the wrong part of the plant. It's important to know, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a tradition of herbalism that has to be carefully understood, and and you know usually we discern between you know buying products so to speak, versus then wild crafting. And you need to know what you're doing when wild crafting. And that's almost assumed, and it should not be. But obviously, it takes hours and hours of identification and skills to learn how to properly identify a plant and then properly identify which plant part you're after and which part of the season you need to harvest it in and how you prepare that into what dosage. Without all those keys, it doesn't work. So that's a real education uh, gap that by the time in an indigenous culture you were three, you'd be able to do that just fine, right. okay? not in this culture, right? So we have to kind of start from the ground that we've been born into. Within that, obviously, there are classes, there are workshops, there's information, there's YouTube. I've got YouTube videos all over the place on plants. Um, a lot of people are spreading a lot of information. So it's really about coming up to speed with the idea that you can just get it from your backyard. In the meantime, you need to understand that dosage is everything. And if you're not able to wildcraft enough, Lyme disease specifically is not something to play with. So that's not the time you start nibble testing uh, dandelions for the first time. This is the time you need to have an already established protocol well uh, dosed. And that's uh, the balance. And so we can get educated in that way. One of the great ones is to start reading, you know, certain books. Stephen Buhner's book is great called Healing Lyme. He'll be putting out a second edition soon. Uh, Wolf Storl has one called Healing Lyme. I really liked uh, Dr. Horowitz's stuff, although I'm not really a big fan of uh, antibiotic cocktails, although I never laid in bed for five years straight. So... Um, I think there's a real push towards becoming educated as fast as possible. So when I started dealing with Lyme, I wouldn't say, you know, going to when we went to Omega Institute for this Lyme workshop, mm -hmm. um, going there and seeing people's stories of those myths you hear about Lyme, of people laying in bed for years and years and years and not getting well. So. From that perspective, I have never been struggling with Lyme, and that gave me a lot of realization that even if I have a tinge of lingering symptoms, it's not taking me down like that. And that was incredibly uh, revealing that I'm on the right track with what I'm doing for myself herbally. So I've had tinges of sort of uh, neurocongestion, let's say. And working with herbs has really helped that. And specifically the, lime, the lymphatic system, mm -hmm. I think, is one of the things that really gets pulled out in the Lyme issue and why people aren't healing is to really cleanse and start working deeply into the lymph system. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a whole tradition of herbalism and cleaning lymph, right? Yes, yeah. and herbs, just tea herbs. I mean, I'm drinking red clover right now, which is a common backyard weed, and it's always been known as a lymph cleanser. So there's a big difference when you drink red clover tea every day versus, uh, you know, Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> 
so these are the things that it seems like Lyme is really pushing into people's faces is no, no holistic healthcare. No, all levels. You cannot neglect your diet. You cannot neglect your exercise. You cannot neglect your mood. Healing is a crisis that requires complete self-transformation. And that's one of the things that Lyme really seems to be bringing. It's beating the medical system, essentially. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if they don't change, they're out. And it's just a matter of time because antibiotics are definitely not the solution to, you know, antibiotics alone are not proving to be the solution to Lyme and its co-infections. Right. So that opens up a, a large door of potential. And luckily, people like me, people like Stephen Booner and Wolf Storrell and all these people are at least starting to ask the right questions, you know, about what herbs and what protocols and what, what do we have of the tradition and what was used for syphilis, because this is a syphilitic issue, essentially, right, the spirochete. So we have all this anecdotal and historical and then experimental, current experimental information. You know, every herbalist uh, that's, you know, doing consultations is dealing with people with Lyme right now, and that's just growing and growing and growing. How do you tell a good herbalist from somebody who just picked up a few things on the internet and started playing around? Gosh, uh, time. <laughs> Observation <laughs> and time. That's really the only thing. It's like, how do you know, you know, when you've met the love of your life? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you can jump into things and think that that's all good, but there's a pretty high divorce rate. So, uh, we might want to try to take our time and observe and learn from and, and really uh, trust what you feel. I think that's another aspect of of the Lyme phenomena. Um, so many people being misdiagnosed, right? What's the underlying thing that breaks people out of that is know what you know and trust what you feel and where are you at. And so, funnily enough, a lot of herbalists, you know, have given up on the blood testing idea. So then there's the symptom checklists or just asking you, well, how do you feel and what is your symptom profile? And literally, herbs are so compassionate to humans that if you treat someone's symptom profile, the body can then kickstart the self-healing process. You know, so if it's inflammation, everybody's got inflammation. Mm-hmm. The herbs for for Lyme, which reduce inflammation, are herbs for all inflammatory conditions. That's why they're smarter than pharmaceuticals in right. the sense that they can do multiple functions of things. It's not so microscopically uh, chosen by effect, multi-effect, multifactorial, right? Herbs are multifactorial in their function always. Yeah, that's a good way of, of, of saying that. I've been reading up on garlic a little bit over the past couple of weeks and, you know, mm-hmm. everybody, well, everybody, the scientific, the medical community is excited about the allen and allicin. And that's one of 33 sulfur compounds in there. So you eat garlic and you're right. getting all kinds of stuff and you take a, a garlic medicine and you're getting one. And that's, yes. that's kind so- of the innate intelligence you're talking about. Right, and this is like, a, you know, the Paracelsus philosophy, there must be one essence in this that is the highest, and it's kind of an alchemical dream to make the highest, you know, panacea possible, and so we're amidst that, and it's a fun game, and yet at the same time, uh, I think the real panacea is not the outer substance, 
not the pill, it's the self-initiative, it's the self-transformation, it's the choice to get well, it's the choice to become a better person. These are the things that really are the, the healing panaceas, you know. There is no quick fix. And so even with, I hear people say, oh, well, garlic, just eat. You know, I'm out there, I get ticks, I'm like, hey, I'm trying this, I'm trying that, these are the bug sprays I'm using, and people always give these one-line sort of solutions, and so people say, oh, well, just, you're not eating enough garlic, right? So then I'll go out and eat a whole bunch of garlic and get ticks and find them and just put them on my legs, and they're like, I don't care, I'll still bite you. And that's the problem, is that we need kind of the people's uh, awareness to figure out Lyme, because the information out there is so varied and literally you could spend, you know, seven hours on the computer and hear every single option possible when it comes to Lyme. Mm-hmm. You know, a deer, an adult will bite you, nothing will happen. An adult will bite you, something will happen. You know, everything is present on medical, you know, the people we should be trusting. So we need more people taking initiative, doing self-experimentation, but we need everybody to be really diligent as far as what they are not what they're spreading that's not actually proven in their own direct experience. So I've verified with a few people that say they eat garlic all the time and still get ticks on them. So, you know, there's always these kind of one-line answers that I hear, especially with herbs, like, oh, great one, just take more oregano oil, you know. These, there's there's not really this kind of panacea effect with Lyme, especially now that we've identified co-infections, I mean, also, Dr. Horowitz was saying there's a hundred, over a hundred species of Babesia. Uh, you know, that's not even close to where we were at with Lyme um, two, three years ago. You know, and most people don't understand that at all. So we're dealing with so many multiple co-infections, and then we're dealing with not understanding how they will exactly spread or multiply. Uh, you know, even the idea of if a chicken eats a tick and the tick has Lyme. Does the chicken have Lyme? I'd love to know. Right? When you find out, let and me know. We're, <laughs> the, the sad thing is I'm not a researcher and I yeah. can't do those experiments, but I cannot believe that these simple questions have no answers. Yeah. You know, there's lists and lists and lists of them. Yeah. Now, my final question for you, and you've been very generous with your time and I very much appreciate it. Is, oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, actually, you know what? I forgot there are two questions. So I'll save the last one for last. The, the, the second to last question is you teach survival skills. And that's, that's a funny thing to teach because aren't we surviving just fine? Well, you know, I would say I actually teach more uh, nature-based connection skills, meaning that it's not just about surviving and running away and then going to Denny's. It's about thriving <laughs> in nature and feeling home and learning how to feel home in nature. And unfortunately, that has to do with a lot of tick awareness because where I am close to the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, you know, I was just picking blueberries while well, picking blueberries for lunch. And I have to literally be always on the ready for ticks to be on me, you know? So it's actually, I've been trained in the way of 
deepen, deepening body awareness and uh, perspective and felt sense on my body in a way that I never could imagine by just trying to forage and practice uh, hunter-gathering living skills. And so within that are survival skills and that sort of, I mean, you know, we made a hand drill fire the other day, which was really exciting. And it's not about surviving and it's, uh, it's about thriving, you know, it's about learning how to thrive and resolve this kind of duality between humans and nature, which has caused uh, the problem in the first place. I mean, the idea that there's a deer problem you know, oh, well, ticks come from deer, and I have deer in my lawn, but lawns are the best habitat for deer. You know, and it's really funny that people would say there's too many deer, but everybody's okay with buying, you know, hormone-infested cattle, which are in horrible conditions coming from the Southwest, and yet the idea of too many deer uh, would not exist if people realized that that's actually... Uh, what would be native food for this area. So we have all these problems with the way we design our ecosystems, and that's starting to really reveal uh, in sort of the pandemic fun that we're getting to. And so, yeah, I'd like to survive uh, humanity's poor choices, that's for sure. Um, I don't want to sit down and, and not really find solutions to some of these problems. I mean, the other one is... Imagine that state parks start to understand the severity of lion and deer ticks, and they have miseducation, they have a lack of knowledge, and so something repeatable to spring deep, you know, against the fear of mosquitoes starts occurring. This is very possible, you know, uh, through fear and through not getting a handle on understanding this. So what I'm also doing is I'm, I'm, I'm practicing, uh, you know, pesticide-free tick management. And I feel like that will be incredibly valuable, and there are probably very few people who are doing that. Uh, you're the first. You're the first. We got. We got to figure out how to actually live within the ecosystem. So. Yeah. Yeah. You push it so far, and something will come around the back end and bite you. Every yeah, time. Yeah, that's every time. That's the message. That's I nature. Mean, yeah. You know. The war on anything, right, makes more of an enemy. <laughs> you yeah. can't have a war on nature because you are nature. And right. it's like having a war on air and, and killing air, you know. There's a thought. Somebody will bottle that one. And here's my, um, last, my last question for you. You sign sure. your emails, much love. And the first time I read that, I was like, that's really cool. And, but I couldn't gather, I couldn't quite get myself to sign my emails back to you, love McKay. But yeah. Why, why do you, so that's, it's a bold statement, especially for a man. Yeah. So why do you do that? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I believe that love is severely lacking in this world and that actually we all just need more of it. Um, so, the feeling, the felt sense of love and connectedness and community is essentially why we have created urban and suburban areas which 
um, aren't fulfilling parts of ourselves, which is connected with why we have so many <laughs> deer ticks, um, <laughs> in the sense that the habitats that we have built, the synthetic habitats, the, the false walls that we've built, um, have left us extremely isolated, which has lowered our immune system, which is probably a large factor of why people are getting hit so hard by Lyme, yeah. right? Disconnected yeah. from going outside, being with your neighbor, exercising, being in nature, picking wild berries, uh, going for large walks in the woods. These are things that are nature-based exercise, and without them, we become kind of gray and pasty and boring, and love is definitely something we all need, but most of us are very afraid to feel. So I'm all about more love in the world. I think it's the only thing that is going to matter uh, when people are dying, they'll look back and they'll say, gosh, you know, I really regret not giving more love. I'm sure that's a probably persistent uh, experience. That's beautiful. Dan? Nobody ever died from too much too love. Too much love. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so as a Chinese man, let me tell you a funny story. I, I had a woman with back pain from too much joy. So she, uh -huh. she went. She went to visit her firstborn grandson, and she came back and she was complaining about back pain. And, oh, it must have been from picking up my, you know, my grandson who had must have been what maybe ten pounds. When I took her pulses, her heart protector pulses were bounding, just kind of jumping mm -hmm. off her wrist. And my diagnosis mm -hmm. was too much joy. It's like you you've become mm -hmm. overjoyed and your system out of balance. So so we dispersed her joy and let the rest of the body have some of it and her back pain uh, yeah. immediately calmed down. So, Yeah. Well, that's Funny too much story. joy. That's a, that's a good diagnosis, but what, was it ever from too much love? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. Terrific. You've been wonderful. Uh, for people who are driving in their cars, why don't you give them your digits, your websites? How can people get hold of you and learn the amazing things that you're doing? Well, anybody can feel free to uh, log in on returntonature.us, which is my website, which has a lot of writings, a lot of information on ticks and Lyme. And I've done other uh, Lyme podcasts, and I'm currently writing a lot about Lyme. hope to have a kind of manuscript out in, in a couple uh, months and uh cool. make sure you return make, to nature make sure you let me know when that comes out Great. I'd, lo I'd love yeah, to yeah it'll be mo mostly based on going out and what to do and and what prevention can be taken uh you know i think that's a very big missing piece within the Lyme community how to exist with the ticks and what does it mean ecologically that ticks are coming into our habitat but um otherwise you can also go on youtube instagram all those things and return to nature skills is uh, the handle that I use. And anyone can email me at dan at return to nature .us. Yeah, right. I really appreciate it. And uh, when you're going to post it up, just let me know ahead of time so we can kind of blast it out together. I'll put it through my social media stuff. So Cool. I will let you know. Great. Well, thank you and great talking, man. All right. Likewise, Dan. Have a good one. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. So, 
What's really cool about Dan is he, he, he reminds me of something that I learned a while ago that back in the mid medieval ages, um, monks would, monks had this belief that everything was put on the earth to, God put everything on the earth to help humans out, whether it was for food or for medicine or anything like that. You know, Dan just is living his life proving that, you know, did, wasn't he treat himself for Lyme twice now? How many? Yeah, I think, I don't remember the exact number, but he has had Lyme disease more than once. And just as somebody who's in an endemic area and is brave enough to continue to go out in the woods, he just faces it fearlessly and treats himself. And if you do want to work with Dan, uh, he has workshops and Lyme consultations. If you come by LimeNinjaRadio.com and look up this episode, what you'll find is contact information for him. And he's somebody you might want to check out. Mm-hmm. All right, a short reminder, our next four episodes are all about healing with movement, and we have subjects of Pilates, yoga, and belly dancing. And if you need more belly dancing in your life, <laughs> no, if you need more Lime Ninja in your life, visit our website, LimeNinjaRadio.com. There you can find all 54 past episodes. I archive all the episodes so you can go back and listen to them again and again. We're still in the process of cataloging them. Forgive us. It is summertime. We are putting up hay. We will get around to it, I promise. Uh, On the website, you can also sign up for our Ninja Insider mailing list and pick up the Lime Ninja Brain Fog Protocol as our thank you. Lime Ninja Radio is also on iTunes. Stitcher. And Facebook. And last, your day would not be complete. I know mine isn't, <laughs> unless I knew the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know that ninjas can squeeze orange juice from a banana? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.